Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. one of our own Ramon Rivera to the stage and as some of you all know we have a, a, a pastoral residency program here at our church and that just started in my heart and the beginning of our church because I said look I went through it myself but if if we're going to be a church that's multiplying and discipling people wanting to start church plants and send out people we want to do that within our staff too see the residency program is this it's where we open up our doors to folks that are saying look I'm interested in doing ministry for a lifetime so we say look you can be a part of our staff. You can study under the pastors. You can do a little bit of ministry. I like to say you can get your hands dirty and your feet wet. And and maybe that doesn't make sense to you. So let me put it like this. Picture yourself going to the doctor. You're about to have a, a, a big surgery done. You don't want that doctor that's working on you to not have ever had any other experience. And what I mean is they need to work on a dead body first before they work on me. You agree? It's the same thing within ministers and pastors and preachers to say, why would we just put a guy in a church or put a guy in ministry where he can he has to learn and figure it out for the first five years and then burn himself out? Say, look, look, let's bring some folks under our our wing. Let them study under us. Let them fail. Let them succeed. Let them make it or not make it. And and it's not all on them. And now that sets them up for a 30 year run, a 40 year run, a 50 year run of flourishing gospel ministry to our Lord Jesus. Christ. So that's what the residency program's about. And today we're going to bring Ramon up here, y'all. I'm so excited about this, brother, because part of the residency program is they have to do a pastor, a preaching class. And in this preaching class, I put them through the ringer a bit. They have to preach a five-minute sermon, a 10-minute sermon, a 15-minute sermon, a 20-minute sermon, and a 30-minute sermon, all within six weeks. So they, they, they get a real experience of what it's like to preach week to week. And they have to preach four different genres, an Old Testament narrative, a psalm, a Pauline epistle, and a gospel. So look, look I will say this, though. Ramon uh, is amazing, y'all. He can preach, and I'm looking forward to the white falling off the walls a little bit. Y'all can look around. The walls might not be that white, but I promise he's going to preach some paint off the walls. So if you're ready for this brother to come preach this 30 minute sermon to you, I am. I hope you are too. Would you put your hands together with me as he comes to the stage? Wow. Um, I would hate to follow him if he was here and then he does that, which makes it even way harder. Um, God, I got to follow that. I, I hope Let me lower your expectations. I am just going to preach Jesus and let him do what he does best. Amen? What Pastor Derek is talking about is uh, something that has blessed me and my family so greatly. And I am so thankful to be here at Renewal Church. Let me first off and say uh, thank you to Pastor Derek to even allow me an opportunity like this, to deliver the word, to trust me by God's grace, to show you more of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Derek has been loving uh, to me and just helping me. And when he says he, he's been putting me through the ringer, he's not lying. My wife can attest to it. Uh, but it is for this beautiful thing that we get to do and it's serve Jesus. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about myself is uh, I came to know the Lord as a young teenager, uh, not in a religious home at all, but God found me and he rescued me. And in that and through that, I began to fall in love with his word. And 
at a young age, believe it or not, in high school, I came to know that I would do this for the rest of my life. And I'm gonna give you a little cool nugget if you don't know yet. It was in this exact high school. I graduated from this high school. So to be here to preach the word is, God is doing something amazing and I'm so grateful for it. Uh, and as I came to know that truth, I, I began to give up my time. I met this beautiful little thing that I fell in love with and uh, she truly was a diamond to me. That's actually my wife's name. Her name is Diamond. That's right. I got me a diamond, y'all. And uh, man, through that process, she has been with me since we were teenagers. Uh, I fell in love with her my junior year of high school, and uh, I knew I had to take her off the market. So I took her off the market. I have been married for eight wonderful years, and I have two beautiful children. Yeah, give it up for God for that, right? And as I've grown up uh, and matured, and she's seen me from immaturity to still some immaturity, right? Um, but she has been with me as I've grown and has believed in this call that God has given to our family. And as I have been a part of different churches, I have served in youth ministry, I have preached some, I have done a number of different things, but my heart knew that if I was going to do this for the rest of my life, I need to be in a place that can train me and build me and pour into me if I was going to live a life that pours out. And Pastor Derek uh, found me, in a, me and, and some other people that I know in a very rough time uh, at a church that I was previously at, and he just loved on us. Like, if you know Pastor Derek, he is an amazing pastor. And that's not just because he's my pastor, but I knew him before he was my pastor, and I, I knew immediately this is a guy that I would want to imitate. It's okay. The Bible talks about biblical imitation, so that's a good thing, all right? But he was a loving pastor to me and my wife and my family and just, just stepped in. And, and as I desired this, he let me know about this residency program that Renewal offered, and I never knew something like this existed. And we just started talking. And he gave me space. He gave my wife space to ask the questions of what does this look like? I come and my family come from a predominantly Hispanic church where everyone looks alike. And if you look, take a moment to look around this room, not everybody in this room looks alike. And that's okay. That's a beautiful thing. That's a taste of heaven as we say here at Renewal Church. Amen? But it comes with its own challenges. And Pastor Derek and Kaylee have walked very close with me and my wife through this whole process. And in March, we became members here at Renewal Church. And I joined the residence program. I'll just say a little bit, right? Pastor Derek always says that he is, um, he likes to mention that he is chocolate. He likes to let you know that he is uh, a black pastor, which means a lot if you don't know. Uh, I am not black. I am brown. Uh, I'm a little, I'm not chocolate, I'm a little well-seasoned, all right? Uh, so we, we get that. And uh, if I speak very passionately, I'm not mad at you. I, if I speak with my hands, it's because I'm Puerto Rican. I don't know how else not to speak. If you tie my hands together, I can't speak. I'm just letting you know that now. Uh, but I am so grateful. Once again, Pastor Eric, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Renewal Family, for allowing me to be here to do this. And today we are going to get in the Word, and I want you guys to join me, uh, if you can. We're going to be in the book of John, 
John chapter 2, 1 through 11. And I've titled our text this morning, The Needy. Can you say that with me? The Needy. You guys will get it a little bit more as we go through it. But let us stand as we read the word of God. Amen? So I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I am going to do my best to be faithful to Jesus and just talk about him. Hopefully you guys have found me there in John chapter 2, 1 through, the, through 11. And it's called The Wedding at Cana. I'll read and follow along. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw out some, draw some out, and take it to the master of feast. So they took it. When the master of feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants that who drew it knew, the master of feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunken freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. That is the word of God. Would you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for this beautiful morning and we pray that you would be with us as you lead us in your word. I pray that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear and hearts to believe in your truth. Help me, God, to deliver your hope and your wisdom and nothing else. We pray this in all, we all pray this in your mighty name, Jesus, and we say amen and amen. Church, take a seat with me. Pastor Derek has made it very clear that I got a time limit and I want to respect that. I've once again titled our text, The Needy. And as we go through this text, can I start off by giving us some advice? Everybody okay with getting some advice? One thing you do not want to do is wear a red shirt and go to Target. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Why? Because somebody is going to find you and expect you to help them. And there is nothing worse than that embarrassment of thinking you found somebody that actually doesn't work there. I've had it happen to me plenty of times. But what is even more interesting is that the look that they give you once they realized, right, that crushed, hurt, depleted look, when they realize you can't help them. Follow me. There is nothing worse than going to the wrong person or the wrong thing in your time of need. Yes? Does that resonate with anybody? Because I know that to be true. And we're going to follow Jesus in John chapter 2, 1 through 11, 
as he is going to be in a unique setting, and he is going to make a grand statement. He's going to do something like never before. And as it comes up on the screen, our setting is one that you do not want to find yourself in any type of need, right? We find ourselves at a wedding. What a beautiful celebration, a joyous occasion. And the guest list is one that you do not look over. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Jesus himself is there and his disciples. This tells me this was no ordinary wedding, right? This isn't just a stranger's wedding. This is a wedding that belonged to somebody probably close to them, maybe a relative. And what makes me believe more than ever that this is probably a family wedding, someone close to them, is because it is not a family gathering until there's a little bit of drama. I will tell on my family. My mother's here, so she's looking at me like, don't you air it. But it's true. Family drama tends to find those family celebrations, and that's just for me. So that's why I believe. That's just my, my small interpretation. They are at a wedding, and the mother of Jesus runs to him when they ran out of wine, and she says, we have, we have no wine. Have you ever found yourself in need? Take a moment. Self-evaluate. Maybe you have, haven't had enough money to pay a bill. Or better yet, you didn't have enough education for a job that you wanted. Or maybe you haven't had enough love to care for someone. Self-evaluate there. Have you, have you ever found yourself in a place where you lacked enough of something to meet the expectation? Because that's what it means to have a need. And the truth is, wherever you register on that, Every person in this room has a need. And we have an equalizer in this room, and that need that every person in this room, despite social economics, your upbringing, your growth, your education, whatever it is, it's this need to deal with the separation that we have between us and God because of sin. No matter where you are, no matter what your upbringing is, we all have that need. And I promise you, Jesus is getting there. I'm not just pulling things. But needs carry baggage with them, right? There is a sense of desperation that a need can bring. Or there is a hard working inside of you to avoid a pain that that need will bring. Or a fight against that feeling of hopelessness. Maybe you don't register with the thought of being in need, but you can register with those feelings. We all have a need. Mary, at that moment, went to her son because she was in need. And the most interesting thing is, when someone is in need, they don't have the ability to help themselves usually, right? You're in that need because you can't get yourself out, correct? Correct? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Mary goes to her son in her time of need, and he responds to her. They have no more wine. And Jesus looks at his mother and says, woman? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Let's stop there. Woman? I thought he was going to get whooped. 
I was, I was sure this was going to be the first recording of a whooping that Jesus got in the Bible. But that's not what happened. If, if I would call my mother woman, I wouldn't have teeth to follow that statement. Yeah. And she's here, so she'll tell you. I read, I read this like if I was talking to my mother. So when I read into the actual study of the word, that is not what Jesus was doing, okay? He wasn't being disrespectful. The actual translation of that word is a common uh, greeting, right? It would be like me not knowing a woman's name and saying, ma'am. So Jesus isn't being disrespectful, guys. But he is saying something. He's, he's referring to his mother as a common person. Because when we come to Jesus, there is nothing that gives us privilege to come to him. Don't miss that. We come to Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the person that probably had the most right to come to him, she comes to him and he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now we know that if we are in need, there got to be something else that that person that we're going to go to or that thing that we're going to go to can help us with. So what Jesus is doing, he is, he is a person that you probably would not want to get into a conversation with and think that he is going to uh, just go along with, with our pity parties, right? Everybody have conversations like that before? Like pity party. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus goes right to the heart. He's like, what does this have to do with me? Woman, what does this have to do with me? What he's doing is he's saying, what's the difference between you and I? He knows why are you finding yourself coming to me? Jesus is drawing that figurative line in the sand and making sure you understand that there's a difference between us. And that's great news, and we'll talk about that. I'll say it this way. Have you ever had car problems? Anybody? Show of hands. I recently had car problems. Uh, we got two cars. We got a, a nice little uh, SUV for the family. My wife drives that, and I got this nice little station wagon with no air conditioner. I love it, though. It gets me around. The other day, I'm pulling into my parking spot, and it dies. Just dies. And I'm like, all right. Run into the house. Go grab the jumper cables. Whenever something goes wrong with my car, let me just say, I always think I'm a mechanic. I know very little about cars, but I'll open the hood and look at it like, yeah, mm. Nonetheless, I grab the jumper cables, I jump the car, and it starts. I'm good, right? Wrong. Because it dies seconds after. So I'm looking at it. I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta fix this battery, and we'll be, we'll be back rolling again. But something inside of me says, you know what? No, you, you probably need to take it to a mechanic. So let me take it to a mechanic. Take it to the mechanic, and immediately he knows there is something wrong with your car, and it's not just your battery. If it was me, I would have changed the battery, and I would still have a dead car, and I would be frustrated pulling my hair out because I'd be down a car. But the mechanic looks at it and immediately knows, no, it's actually your alternator. It's a much bigger problem. You guys are following me, right? Jesus is like that great mechanic. He has the ability to do what we cannot. And he draws the line in the sand and saying, there has to be a difference between you and I if I am going to be the one to help you. So he's not being disrespectful. 
but he's drawing that line. What is the difference between you and I? And he is addressing that great need that I talked about earlier, that need to bring us close to God and get rid of the sin, right? That sin separates us. And he finishes his response to his mother by saying, my hour has not yet come. What hour is he talking? What a random, if, if we're reading it literally, it just seems like he missed the mark. Jesus did not miss the mark. He was so on point. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What he's talking about is the whole reason why Jesus showed up. The whole reason why we can even stand in this room and worship God. He is talking about the gospel itself, the, the fact that God would step out of, out of heaven and into human history and put on flesh, becoming a man, living the life that myself included cannot live, dying the death because of my disobedience deserves, and then raising from the dead, which will follow in that book, to give us relationship with God, making us children of God. He is saying, my hour has not yet come. While Mary was worried about wine, Jesus said, I am here to take care of all of mankind. Don't miss that. My hour has not yet come. He is here for a reason, to meet our need, but not just the small needs. Don't, I don't want you to think that he doesn't care about our small needs, because he does. But he is here to answer our biggest need. And that is our separation between us and God because of our disobedience. He is making it clear, I am here to help first and foremost with our greatest need. I ask this question and join with me because I don't like doing things alone. Who do you run to in your time of need? Or what do you run to in your time of need? If if I'm honest, I usually run to myself. I look at myself, I dig deep, I, I, I look for the grit inside of me, I ball up my fist and I say, I, I, I gotta do this. Or I'll look to the world, right? What does the world have to offer me that will fulfill me, answer my biggest needs? What do you run to? As a young man that grew up without a father and a, and a mother at home that works 16-hour days, six days a week, I learned hard work ethic. But if I'm honest, I love my mother, but that's not what I need to do in my time of need. I don't need to rely on myself more. I need to go to the one that can actually help. Who do you run to? We all run to something. Money, <clears throat> relationships, ourself, we all run to something. Mary just heard her son refer to her as a common person and then answer her in a way that she did not expect, but actually addressed not only that need for one, but a much bigger need. Look at how she responds. Look at her response. She just got rebuked. She just got put in line, right? Normally, when that happens, I just take a step back, stay in my spot. I'll shut down. 
It's not what she does. She looks at her son. She looks at Jesus and looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. If anybody could understand a statement from Jesus, it would probably be his mother. She probably had that memory of when that angel visited her and said, I have given you a son and he will be the savior of the world. So when he responded to her in a way that she didn't expect, I'm certain that memory probably retracted and still she responded in faith. She believed that she can trust him. She looks at the servant and says, do whatever he says. Why? Because she knew at that moment there was no one more dependable than Jesus. Do you believe that? She she lived that. There was no one. I'll say it this way. If we need a game-winning shot, who do you want that basketball in? Whose hands? Michael Jordan, you're in Chicago. You don't say anybody else, all right? I don't care who or where you're from, you're in Chicago. It's Jordan. And if you need a game-winning base hit, it's going to be Derek Jeter. And we'll fight about that later if you like baseball. Or if you need that game-winning touchdown, who's throwing it? Tom Brady. Tom Brady hands down. We can fight about that one later, too. But think about it. Why, why those men? Because they are leaders that are dependable. You can trust them in your time of need. They got the track record, right? They capitalize on that moment. And Jesus is exactly that and much better. Jordan can't touch him. Jeter can't touch him. Brady can't touch No one is more dependable than Jesus himself. But we understand dependability in those senses. But Mary understood it exactly the same way. There is no one more dependable in my time of need than the the one that's in front of me. Jesus himself. And he capitalizes on this. He looks at the servants, right? He takes what's around him, being as amazing as he is, and he says, go and get those stone jars over there, bring them, and fill them up with water. These jars were like massive tubs, large amount of water. We have no wine, and you want me to go and get water. If I'm a servant at that moment, I'm like, I don't know what this guy is doing. I probably have a thousand questions in my head, but he goes, they get the jars, they fill it with water. He then tells those servants, take that water and take it to the, uh, the, the master of feast, right? The wedding coordinator, so to say. Take it to the person that's in charge. And if I am that servant, I am probably like, I'm, I'm not taking that water. You take that water. You, all right, we'll take it together, right? So they take it to the master of feast and they give it to him. And when the master of feast drink that water now become wine, he is amazed, He is amazed. And he calls for the bridegroom. He calls for the the husband that is responsible for providing the wine. He didn't know that he didn't, he ran out. He was surprised and calls that bridegroom and he says, most people will take the good wine, 
first and then serve the bad wine after. You didn't do that. You actually served good wine and then served even better to follow it. You did something that no one ever does, but who did it? It was Jesus. Jesus is making a bold statement that he is trustworthy, that he is dependable. Why? He is showing us his power over creation. Don't miss that. Who here can turn water into wine? I'll wait. Because you probably throw the best parties. No one can. The, the, the first chapter of John makes it very clear on who Jesus is, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And all things were created through him and not nothing was made without him. If the, you ever needed a stamp, it's right there. Let me show you that I have power over creation. I will turn your water into wine. And that's actually an Old Testament prophecy that he's fulfilling. Most people would have known that wine was symbolic of the coming Savior. They said in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, that when the, when the Messianic age, when the Savior comes, that the wines will be, uh, or the, the land will be uh, bountiful, and the wine will flow freely. He is saying, you guys talked about this. Let me show you that I'm doing it. I am the one that you need, the one that you have been waiting for, the one that can answer your greatest needs. I am dependable. Who better to trust than the one that has power over everything? I'll wait. Jesus is making that bold statement as he turns water into wine. If we're honest... When I try to do life on my own, I am much like that first husband. The one that can provide a little but can never provide enough. Where trusting in Jesus, he is the husband that we wait for, the bridegroom that we wait for. Men, don't, don't check out there, right? He is the one that we can depend on. He is the rock because he doesn't just deliver. He delivers above and beyond he is making that bold, bold statement to run to me in your time of need because I am the one that could answer your need. And let me prove to you, if you need a sign, it ends this uh, section of Scripture in, in verse 11. It says, this was the first sign that he manifested, right? His glory and the disciples believed and that is my hope today as we walk through this beautiful setting of a wedding that we would understand that in our time of need, we can run to the one that is dependable. He is trustworthy. He has power over all creation. And maybe you don't know him. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've never heard of this guy before. This is just starting to sound weird. But you know what it is to be in need. Don't check out. Because in your need, it may seem hopeless. It may seem if I can stretch my hand a little further and get that raise or that job or that salary, it will satisfy. The truth is nothing satisfies like Jesus Christ. So if you know need, whether you know him or not, I have good news for you. He is the answer to that need.
And if you are a believer in this room, that does not mean we, we believe once and we're done. No, this is a daily running to God. I need to run daily to be the father that I have call, I'm called to be, to be the husband that I am called to be, to be the brother, the son, whatever sphere you find yourself in, we need to run to him in order to be exactly what he made us to be. But church, he is dependable. He is the one that we can trust. And as we look at this text, as I bring it to a close here, I hope that you are encouraged to believe as the disciples believed, right? They saw his wonderful work and believed. We get to look in the word and see Jesus' wonderful work and we can believe. So I'm going to close and I'm going to ask two questions. Let us wrestle with these questions together. I've asked it before, but I want us to take some time to really wrestle through it. Who do you run to or what do you run to? Hopefully you've taken some time to look at that. Is it self? Is it your status? Is it your dreams? Your career? Your family? Maybe a different person, another relationship. What is it that you run to and depend on. Let me encourage you today, church, by this scripture, what we see, let us be like Mary that runs to Jesus. Let us run to Jesus and know that he is dependable and we can trust him. And if you've never ran to him before, I encourage you this morning, run to him. Trust and believe that he is who he says he is, that he does what no normal human can do, that he lived a perfect life, died the death that we all deserve, and then rose from the grave so that we can have a relationship with God forever. Run to Jesus today. Whether non-believer or believer, let us run to him. And secondly, maybe you're wrestling harder and it, it, it just isn't, you're not moved there. Can I ask this last question? What lies are you believing that is keeping you from running to Jesus? What lies are we believing that keep us running from Jesus? Is it that we're inadequate? That we're unlovable? He wouldn't want me anyways. Or is it, I have every power and ability inside of myself. I just need to reach down. Doesn't that sound like culture today? Go and find it yourself. Dig inside of yourself and you'll find it. Let me tell you that is wrong. There is not a person alive that can dig deep enough to get them right enough to stand before God. What lie are you believing? Maybe it's shame and guilt. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my story or my background. You don't know what happens, what happened last week, what happened last night. You don't know. If, if you knew he wouldn't want me, that shame and guilt is a lie. This gospel is for any who would believe and have faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So church, as we realize 
We are needy people. I pray that we would know that there is one that we can run to in our time of need, and that is Jesus himself. Church, will you pray with me? Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh-huh.